Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Seven years ago, Jamie and I set out to answer a question. Can you integrate the worlds of therapy and performance so that they work together for the benefit of the client? We knew that if we could create something truly tangible that was inclusive instead of exclusive, it would allow you, the practitioner, to solve more problems, work with purpose instead of a cross-purpose, and in the end, you would earn more income by working smarter, not harder being fulfilled, and sought after for your solutions. After creating reconditioning and witnessing the change of so many professionals' lives and practices, we knew still there was one more ingredient we needed to make it a bulletproof process. For so many years, the brain and central nervous system were not clearly understood. There were a lot of theories and interesting practices, but the research just wasn't there to support the claims. But in the last 10 to 15 years, the world of neurology has come out of the laboratory into the world of real application. We knew this was the missing piece of our process, bringing the current practices of applied neurology into the empowering practice of reconditioning. Introducing Neuro-Reconditioning. The R-Pro series, four steps, one mission, to make you the neuro-reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. If you haven't started yet, it all starts out with our signature course, R1 Foundations. R1 is about learning the building blocks of assessing and improving functional movement through the lens of applied neurology. Maybe you've taken the first step, but that's a bit like being a freshman in a college. You've only just begun. R2 Designs empowers the process even further so you can assess and improve any human movement, understand the visual and vestibular system, and then integrate your work into performance programming and return to performance. Both of these courses are completely online experiences, so you can digest everything from the comfort of your home, hotel, plane, or office. But knowing that there is so much value in trying, doing, and living the experience with us by your side, our new R3 Collab is about you experiencing the full power of the process in a living lab. Troubleshooting your issues, fixing your problems in real time, and gaining real confidence in the process, as well as learning how the brain integrates and manages everything we do. Finally, our R4 mentorship is about exposing your knowledge, refining your approach, and learning through a powerful feedback process so you can be a reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. For more information on all our course offerings, including our landmark personal development program, Empower You, please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offerings. If maximum strength, injury prevention, and performance enhancement are important to you, ISOFIT's all-new Maximum Strength Kit is an absolute must-add addition to your arsenal. Requiring less than 7 square feet of space, ISOFIT's cost-saving design provides over 2,000 pounds of resistance for millions of isometric-based strength exercises. Made from cold-rolled Canadian steel, ISOFIT's Maximum Strength Kit is the world's first performance product dedicated to maximum maximizing explosive isometric strength, peak isometric velocity, and maximum isometric endurance strength. Since 2015, Isofit strength products have proudly strengthened and stabilized athletes in the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and UFC. 
Sales pricing is on now. Order yours today at www.isofitmsk.ca, and that's isofit with a PH. Remember to use the discount code Leave Your Mark to save 15% on all your purchases. Shipping February 2022. Matrix Fitness has been the longest standing sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast. Greg Lawler, the Vice President of Business Development, reached out to me over a year and a half ago to say that he felt we had a common vision for human performance, something bigger than just helping people physically perform better. Their mission aligns with my mission, the idea that by creating the fertile soil for everyone and anyone to start or continue their personal performance journey, we will be here to help you do it. Matrix is one of the biggest brands in fitness and performance equipment today, but they are more than that. They are about helping you reach higher, explore your possibilities, and stay in the game, whatever your chosen path. Whatever you need, whether that is to buy equipment, rent equipment, or seek consultation, or simply recognize the possibilities, Greg and his team at Matrix are here to help you. You can find them at teamupwithmatrix.com today. Everyone struggles with the challenges of life on a daily basis. You're not alone. But if you're like most people, you feel alone, even when you're in a great relationship or a good work environment, because it's so hard to honestly reflect on your insecurities and obstacles with the people that you love or serve. After all, everyone wants to present themselves as being on it, prepared, ready to meet the challenges of life head on. But you know that's not how you always feel inside. Do you sometimes feel as though just having someone to bounce your ideas off of would be something you needed? Maybe you wish you just had someone who would listen to you so you could vent without the fear of judgment. The LYM Life Lab is about real mentorship. It's about me listening to you, connecting, empathizing, realizing, and reflecting so you can make better decisions, create your own change, and live a life of fulfillment and joy. It's not about living the perfect life. It's about living a better life. One you design, craft, explore, and experience within a safe place of objective perspective and honesty but no judgment. In the coming weeks, I will be opening this program up to an exclusive group of people, people who want to see real change in their lives and are willing to work towards real growth. This isn't a program for everyone, but if you're up for the challenge, you'll want to pay close attention to how to be included in this powerful experience. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for how you can be an instigator of your own change. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. Uh, today I have the honor and privilege of uh, returning guest to my show, Stu McMillan. And uh, I don't always say this, but when I do um, bring people back, it's because most of the time it's because one, I have a, a good personal relationship with them. I enjoy conversation with them, but also they've, whatever I've learned from them in the past has um, shaped or evolved my thinking process. And, and Stu is consistently doing that for me and the and the things that he shares both professionally and educationally and personally so i'm really glad to have you back sir thank you for coming buddy i can't believe that you asked brett bartholomew back for a second <laughs> before i did you so know that's why a, that's you, a, you know, a, that's my first point of contention Maybe my only point of contention, but it's uh, I'm a little bit angry that that Brett got a second shot at this before I did. Well, I will remind you that when I first had you on, you um, basically told me that um, 
this was the first podcast you'd ever done and you might not be doing any more. So I took you at your word and respected your space. But as I've seen you venture out into the world of podcasting and uh, um, taking chances with other podcast people, um, I figured then the opportunity was open to right, well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you, buddy. I appreciate everything you do. And, and uh, I appreciate the words that you've said um, <laughs> and right back at you. I mean, it's, it's, you know, one of the, you've been really instrumental in sort of my own growth and development, um, especially in the last year to 18 months. And, you know, some of the mm. conversations we've had personally, some of the conversations we've had, uh, you know, you, you, you're just so generous with your time. Thank you. Whether it's through texting or, or long ass emails to, you know, <laughs> very short questions, which is so appreciated, right? Um only you appreciate those. <laughs> no, I really, really do. Like it's, it's, it takes time and you're a deep thinker about this stuff. And, and, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a real honor and pleasure and privilege that you're in my life, you know, personally and professionally. Yeah. And, and what you, what you did over the course of the last, you know, probably the listeners here, 99% of them won't know what we've been doing with, um, you know, our little group mm-hmm. over the last 18 months. Have you, um, you know, because I don't think you've mentioned that at all. Is that been purposeful that you haven't mentioned that publicly? So I, I, I well, in essence, yeah. I mean, I wanted to, um, you know, for me, it was a, a group of guys that uh, I respected a lot and wanted to bring together, and thought had um, variable viewpoints that they could share with one another at different stages in their careers. There was some older guys, some younger guys, and everybody with different some some business people, some non business people, and. But the, I guess the center post was they're all good human beings who wanted to share. So, you know, I, I wanted to bring us together and, and talk. And <clears throat> it had its, some really amazing moments of, of learning and, and exposure to viewpoints. And then other times it was, it was just challenging in terms of people's time and availability and, and ability to engage. And, and so uh, we put it to bed after about uh, 16, 17 months, but it was, I thought it was fabulous. Did you have a lot of takeaways from it? And yeah, no, I thought you? it was great, man. I, I, I look forward to it. And it's um, I mean, for people who don't know what we're talking about, essentially there was, I mean, was there 12 of us in the end, 10 to 12? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there was, they started off with eight or nine, and we just started meeting once every two weeks and just having conversations about, you know, various topics or various challenges that we each had. Um, and then we just have opportunities to sort of, you know, converse with each other and discuss what was going on in our own lives and get you know, others, honest opinions. And, Mm -hmm. and and like you said, it was younger and older, but everybody in these calls were really experienced people. And there wasn't very many younger people, right? It was all people that are kind of either in the middle or the, you know, closer towards the end of their journeys here. And so there's so much wisdom, you know, so much, so much of it. I just really enjoyed just kind of being a fly on the wall and listening to you know, like guys like you know, I don't want to even mention them because it's I don't know maybe they don't they don't want to be mentioned, but it's yeah, fantastic conversation. So I, I really appreciate that you put that together, and I know that was a lot of work for you. Hopefully, we can do something similar to to that in the future, and maybe bring it out to a larger population. Yeah, that's uh, 
Well, I mean, that's part of the, the the podcast and what I hope the genesis of the podcast eventually becomes more and more as I get to bring people like yourself back. Uh, and that's what I mentioned at the beginning, like this shared sort of belief in growth and, and um, contribution of what we've learned uh, is important. It's important to me. I know that it's important to a lot of people. I think sometimes our industry um, is restrictive about sharing belief systems and things and or um, tends to do it in a way that's more, um, hey, look at me and what what I'm doing versus this is what I've come to believe. Why, where are the faults in it or where, where am I mistaken or how can I do it differently or better? And that's, you know, the, the idea of and the premise of that. And <clears throat> I think lastly, all of us struggle at times with sort of, you know, having a place to be, to to just say, hey, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing, or I don't understand this, or um, I, I don't feel right about where I'm headed right now. What do you guys think? And to have um, viewpoints from other people around that, to me, is high value, because we all have to, I, I think we all, in, at stages of our careers, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think you feel sometimes when you're mentoring or you're coaching, that you you are supposed to know the answer you're supposed to be on your game and and you can't really foundation and stuff and do you do you feel like that i most certainly do at times you know what i mean um it's kind of paradoxically but really not once you once you get to a certain point but i feel like i the the longer i'm in this and the more experienced i am mm. the more i recognize that as something that's necessary in my own continual growth and development here. Mm. You know, if you asked me that question 10 years ago, it would have been a very different answer. Mm. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, that's a bit of a cliche at this point, right? You know, everything when you're 25 and <laughs> every five years it goes by after that, you know, less and less and less until the point where you get to, you know, our age and, uh, and you're a little bit older than I am. So you probably know even less than I do now. <laughs> so, you know, and it's, that's that you know i'm actually quite challenged by that right because we know that you know the more wisdom you gain the more you know how little you do know mm. but you still need to come across as as a knower of things whether it's when you're mentoring younger coaches or coaching athletes you can't show you know this this 100% vulnerability with what you think you know with an athlete that you're coaching on a day, you can't say, well, I'm, not, I'm just not really that sure about this. You know, I'm just, it's just a bit of a guess for me today, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to run this experiment with you just, you know, just to see what happens, which is kind of what we're doing, mm-hmm. but we can't be that honest and that mm-hmm. vulnerable. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, that's why one of the reasons why I think I appreciated, you know, what we were doing so much, right. It, it gave us that opportunity mm-hmm. to have those conversations with truly our peers you know, it's so. I mean, um, like, why did you start that? What was the your thought process before starting that specific sort of structured, um, you know, peer mentorship program? Was that something um, that you recognized in yourself? And, you know, I'm struggling with this because I know that you have those conversations with your colleagues and friends anyway. Why did Why did you feel? Yeah, I, I think it was more. Um, you know. I think as we grow in our lives, we we connect with different people and we have people from different uh, domains of 
personal practice, whether that's business people or our friends or our spouses or, you know, our people who live around us. And um, the, in the, in the industry that we both kind of live in, um, I think to the point I was making before, I think to some degree, maybe it's because of um, the testosterone laden realities of training, fitness, engagement, you know, all this kind of stuff. It, it tends to be a, an industry where people kind of guard themselves or protect their IP or protect their sense of, you know, what they're doing or why they're doing it. Or two, even with the point you just made in my view, viewpoint is that you can't because you, you always have to give the perspective that, you know, we're going this direction and we know why we're going there and you got to listen to what I'm telling you. And, you know, because this is going to get you to the promised land. And to, as you said, some athletes, if you didn't have that confidence in that direction, wouldn't follow you. They wouldn't do what it is you need them to do, or they need to do to have the success that they want to have. And I want to unpack that a little bit uh, at some point too, as we move through this. But uh, for me, it was to be able to gather a group of people that I had a lot of respect for uh, who had achieved um, in different ways. Like some had achieved through what I would call jobs or professional opportunities. Some had built businesses, um, you know, and some had taught and some had shared and everybody came at it from different angles. And it uh, for me anyways, to have a, a safe place where I could discuss what I was struggling with and see whether other people struggle with it or not and, and, or what I was um, making happen. And it wasn't meant to be a technical space. We never really talked technical. It was to talk about, you know, what are you dealing with? What's, what's the challenge that, that uh, is, is creeping up in your world. And for some, it might be a, spousal relationship for some it might be their job for some it might be the 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 feelings of having to be on all the time like i said and i hoped that it would be um a, a, a safe place for everybody to talk i think if i were to do it again i'd probably do a smaller group <clears throat> maybe a six instead of a, a 12 and what it what it ended up being um but the question mark there was always how many, how often would you be able to get the six people together and everybody's timing and schedules? And that was probably the biggest challenge around it. But when we did have a good group of people, man, some of the, some of the conversion points around converse, uh, different conversation things was really cool. And you, and you recorded all of it. Mm-hmm. We should turn it so, into a book. It's all there for posterity. <laughs> we, should, we should turn it into a book. Yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> somebody scribe it all out <laughs> no, there's a lot of wisdom in that mm-hmm. you know? for, for you when when you look back at your your professional career do you have a point of recollection when you kind of re- had that realization that i'm no longer or i need to be less self-absorbed in what i'm doing and more you know open to challenging myself because i think we all go through that i'm just wondering whether it was kind of a a, kind of a evolutionary process that you never noticed or one that you actually had a a moment of i need to do this more yeah i don't think there was any one single epiphany where i woke up one morning and said i got to do things differently Mm. you know i think it's become 
over the course of time, and I think this this happens with most people as they mature anyway, you just become a little bit less, um, you know, obsessed with what you're doing and a little bit more interested in what other people are doing and a little bit obsessed, a little bit less obsessed about your specific individual journey and your little specific individual world and the success that you may have within that and just a little bit more outward looking. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was just a pretty natural evolutionary journey. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've always been one that's kind of, you know, from, you know, I think we had this conversation in our first, first podcast together where that was kind of the household that I was grown up in anyway. It was one, you know, I, I remember doing, you know, high school and college level calculus and stuff after dinner, you know, my father was giving me, my father's a civil engineer and he was giving me all this, this extra homework. Cause we, he didn't feel like I was doing enough in school. <laughs> so I, that was the household that I grew up in. So that's always been a part of what has driven me, you know, just, I need to learn more and know more and do more. And, and, uh, it's just become, you know, less and less about me knowing more for the sake of me knowing it and me knowing more to be able to share that. Mm-hmm. Whether you're, whether whether I'm sharing that with an athlete, a group of athletes, a coach, a group of coaches, or a community, mm-hmm. and that be, that's that's probably more important to me now is is uh, and, and and not that it's not important for me to still have uh, you know successful coaching relationships and work with athletes on a daily basis and try to get the best out of them and you know impact their lives. That's still really important for me and probably you know, still a, a major reason why I get up in the morning, but it's becoming more and more important to me to try to get whatever's in my brain, you know, and the thoughts that I have and the conversations that I have and synthesize these in a way in which it can impact more than just the two or three people in front of me. Mm-hmm. Well, coming off of that a little bit, like going back to your question about, to me about starting the group, like how do you, how do you select those relationships? invest yourself in in something like that without really knowing what it's going to be like what why did you decide that that was worth your time to invest in and and how did you um you know evaluate that in yourself in yourself that this is something i want to do well the people involved it's always about the people right (laughs) There wasn't one single person in that group that I didn't already have a, a fairly in-depth personal and professional relationship with. Um, and I, I valued and respected all of them with such depth that, you know, I just jumped at that. That, that was an easy thing for me to say yes to. Mm. I, and I say, less, I say yes to less and less things these days, but that one was, that's a no-brainer for me. Mm. Um, that just, uh, you know, it, it just brought it, brought some level of structure and some level of ease to what I would want to be doing anyway, right? Those are all peer mentors. They're all guys that I like personally and professionally and would be wanting to have conversations like that with all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. This is just a way to, you know, bring a little bit of a, of, of a structure to that and make it a little bit more efficient for everybody. So that, that was easy, first and foremost. And it's... 
you know, but the, the question I get asked a lot is what if I didn't know half of those, those, those people, hmm. you know, then would you do it? And that's, 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 uh, like I said, that's, I used to say yes to everything and, you know, I don't necessarily say yes to everything now and I don't necessarily, uh, ascribe to, I think it's Derek Sivers, um, hell yes or no. I don't necessarily ascribe to that either. I, I'm, I, I, there's, yeah, I think we have to leave room for things being just a, just a yes or just a maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's okay. Um, as you find out more and more about something and that, that includes all the relationships you have and the, and the, and the, and your colleagues and the athletes that you coach, you know, it's, you don't, there's no guarantees here. We, we don't get to live our lives backwards. So it's uh we just have to go forwards with the information that we have at hand on the day and do the best we can. And that's, that's kind of what I mean by when you asked the, the last question about this being an evolution, for me, it's the only thing it can be. That is, um, you know, I just wake up and do the best I can on the day and see what happens. Mm. Listen, the word listening's changed a lot for me over time, what it means, what I, what I, what I, my sensitivity is to it. And I would say even transcending into the idea of my senses. Like I think when I was younger, I don't really pay enough attention to my senses. I kind of just did stuff. And even as a coach, I think, you know, I, I, and I sort of alluded to that earlier, this idea in the beginning that you're, trying to prove yourself and you're trying to expose others to what you somehow know or uh, believe, you know, at that point. And I've sort of recognized, and I, I don't, to your point, have a recollection of an, uh, an immediate moment that it happened, but I have rec- re- realized in the last, I'd say 10, 15 years that listening means something different to me now. Um, and it's really part of why I do this podcast is um, I think I've always been a pretty good talker, but I wasn't that great of a listener. And I was pretty good at saying what my opinion was, but I wasn't great at listening necessarily to everybody else's. Um, and in the last 10, 15 years, I've really spent time trying to be observant with my senses about what somebody says, but also how they say it, what their face looks like when they say it, um, what their energy is when they're talking. And I'm just kind of wondering for you, has listening evolved for you? And and if so, what have you noticed about it yourself? So you say that's changed for you over the last 10 or 15 years, what changed and why, what, what encouraged that or motivated that? Is that something that you identified in yourself? I've got to be better at this. And it was an active process for you. Mm. It was. Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, I I think I, I've always had really good, I think, quality human relationships with people. But, you know, whether it was the two failures in marriages, not recognizing maybe what the other person was um, dealing with or, or why they were there and my own sort of stuff. Or even when I look back to some of my coaching experiences in pro hockey or, um, you know, before that, um, I always feel like if I could go back and do the work that I did in the national hockey league, I would do it differently in the sense that uh, I spent less time getting to know the people around me in a way that was truly, um, insightful and more time trying to somehow prove that I should be there. 
Um, and it's, and, and I kind of had that revelation afterwards when I looked back and said, you know what, I wish I'd, I wish I'd done it differently. And, and based on wishing that I was like, well, how am I going to do it differently? I have to have, I have to evolve. I have to, you know, stop trying to prove to everybody that I somehow know more than them and start knowing, recognizing that I know less and wanting to know more about them, you know, as, as human beings. Because I think at the end of the day, when you want to have conversations about truly why somebody does something, um, you have to have a common ground of respect and trust that comes from maybe sharing more than just why you know something. Um, and I think that gives you that sense of, like when I talk to you, I think you and I have gotten to know each other much better than we did 10, 12 years ago in the last two creates a mutual respect where you can have, you know, conversations like these and actually listen to the answers and be kind of curious about, you know, your own viewpoint on it. Right. Do you feel through the process of, uh, of, of hosting this podcast and how, how long you've been doing it now? Almost four years now. Almost four years. Have you become a better listener through it? Or, or I, just a better asker of questions or, or both? I feel I have because um, I've actually avoided the canned question concept. Uh, remember when I first went through the program that I went through to learn how to do it. And, you know, the, the mentor in the program was always very much about have your, do your research, uh, you know, have your list of, you know, your 10 or 15 questions you want to ask and then play off of it. He always talked about what he called the 80, 20 rule, which was 80% should be scripted and 20% should be sort of off the cuff. And I've always gone the reverse of that. I would say even 10, 90, <laughs> I might have two, three questions in my head before I start. And literally, I would say, like, just before we started this conversation today, I sat down and wrote a few notes to myself about things in, in case I didn't really know where I wanted to go next. But for me, what I've used it to do is to listen to what the person says to me and say, what what do I find interesting about that? What might the listener find interesting about that and want to know more about? And I'll often listen back to it afterwards and kick myself for not not taking this turn instead of that turn, you know, uh, and maybe trying to know more about something that I missed, you know? I think those are the best conversations anyway, aren't they? I mean, I've, I've done a few podcasts with uh, my friend, Derek Evely. I'm not sure if mm -hmm. you listened to any of those, but he, before the first one, and he said to me, you know, we might do three or four of these and they will be 45 minutes to an hour long. And here's, here's a list of 25 questions. And he sent me this, this notes doc, that was 20, 22, 25 questions, something like that. And we've now recorded six podcasts. Each of them are over two hours. <laughs> and we've got through the first four questions. <laughs> because, you know, because we're just having normal, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, authentic and honest conversations. And those, yeah. those are, that's what, that's one of the reasons why I, I really enjoy podcasts so much because just to be a fly on the wall to really good conversations is there's few things that I enjoy better than that, you know, mm -hmm. and there's some great podcasters out there that do a great job of that, including you. And I think that's, that's why I asked you that question is that it's like, you know, I think I sent you this note a couple of weeks back. You've always been pretty good at this. 
but you're getting really, really good at this now. Like you, mm-hmm. you just, you know, very good questions. You can tell that you, this is something that you're actively working on getting better at. Maybe you're just getting better at it because you've done over a hundred of them now. Right. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, it's maybe it's not that active. It's just out of, out of total repetition, but yeah, it's something that to get back to your question. Yeah. I'm not very good at it. I've never been very good at it. I'm, I've never been a good question asker. Mm. So that's something that over the, over the course of the last few years that I've tried to be better at, you know, to be better at, okay, what is the question that I would ask in this situation? And I sometimes do that with podcasts. You know, Mm. if, if, you know, I'll pause and play podcasts, right? So a, a podcast question will come up and I'll pause it and I'll think about, well, how would I answer that question? Or sometimes it'll be the reverse and I'll listen to the answer and then I'll pause it. And I'll think to myself, well, what would be the next question that I would follow up to that? And I think those skills, like every other skill that, that we learn over the course of our lifetime, are only developed truly by actively thinking about them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I've never really done that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, up until, like I said, the last few years, I, it, and literally just the last two or three years, it's the first time I've really thought about this uh, in depth, how to be a better listener, questioner, communicator, speaker, because it's so much about what we do and so much about, you know, what coaching is and coaching education is and understanding the perspectives of the people that we're communicating with. And I feel like I've always done an okay job at that, Mm. but not necessarily really actively or known how I was doing a good job. I've probably on many occasions, at least from a coaching perspective, relied on reputation and people mm. will just believe in what I'm doing and what I'm saying because I am me and maybe I carry myself a certain way, but not necessarily because I'm doing a great job with them on the day. Mm. And uh, as you transition into being a coach of coaches, you can that can only carry you so far. Mm. You've got to continue building that reputation, that scaffolding of it over and over and over again. Um, and that's something that I you know, that still challenges me. And we had those conversations in, in our group meetings as well, right? It's, it's uh, some of the guys on, on those meetings are really, really good at that. And that's what I mean. I'm, like, I'm sitting there in those meetings with you guys and I'm just, you know, I'm just getting jealous, you know, <laughs> these guys just are such great communicators and they just have been thinking about this work for decades. And uh, yeah, I've got so much to learn. Well, what do you so think? The, what What do you think's the difference maker between? Because you're you're a hell of a writer, and you and you ask lots of questions to yourself and expose yourself within the writing that you do. Um, why have you found that challenging to transcend that into a, an oral discipline? And I would I would counterpoint to you that I don't think you're as bad as you think you are. I think you're very good at asking you know, good questions and being interested, but it may be a self-perception, but what, what do you think is the difference between those yeah, two? Well, I, uh, first of all, thanks. But, but yeah, it's, I'm trying to do better in the last few years. So right. what you've seen of me in the last few years is me trying to do better, uh, you know, rewind to 2010 or 2014. And it's not great. You know, it really isn't. It's me telling everybody what they should know, not me asking them what they want to know or the problems that they're having and the challenges that challenges that they're dealing with and how I can help with that. That's very different. Um, and, 
Yeah, I mean, secondary to that is the, the way I look at it, there's three ways of or three sort of levels of communication. One is the communication that you have with yourself, this mm-hmm. daily, you know, second by second communication, this conversation that we're always having with ourselves. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> Right. I spend a lot of time by itself. Entertainment. <laughs> For sure. I, 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 you know, I enjoy my own company and spend a lot of time in my own company. I really enjoy that. And it's, I like thinking about things and I like reading and I like writing and I like writing about the things that I'm reading and writing, writing about the things that I'm thinking about. So mm-hmm. this, this, uh, you know, three way sort of conversation that I'm always having with myself is I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty comfortable with it. Then the next level of communication is with, you know, with a a small group of people. And, you know, I'm pretty good at that. You know, I've coached since I was 14. Mm. So 37 years is my 37th year coaching. So you get good at that. You know, maybe not, it's, it's not an active process, but you just, you've done it for so long that you're pretty good at standing in front of people and getting your point across. That's not necessarily meaning that you're understanding their problems and challenges, but at least you can get out there and, and convey what, what it is that you're trying to convey to a group of people. So I, I feel like I'm not great at that. It's still kind of more one way than it is two way, but mm-hmm. it's definitely getting better. And the third way then is communicating to the entire community you know, communal communication. So it's getting, it's understanding what their challenges are, trying to better make sense of what those challenges are in the community, and then synthesizing it in a way that makes sense to me, and then sharing it back to the community. And I feel like I'm doing a much better job of that since, basically since Altus probably. Hmm. You know, so since 2013, 2014, when that's been a big part of my role in the, in the growth and development of the company is I've had to be better at that. So it's not necessarily taking the challenges and the problems of, of a, of a small group. It's understanding what those are of the big communities as a whole. All right. How do I, how do I make sense of this in my own brain and how can I help the community sort of understand these things in a simple manner? Mm-hmm. Without, you know, dumbing it down too much and then sharing that and how I've, traditionally gone about that is through you know through my writing mm-hmm. and i really like to write and if you know if if it was up to me that's all i would do you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be on any social media i wouldn't do any videos <laughs> i wouldn't talk to anybody you know i talk to my <laughs> friends and that's about it but i write i just write books and articles and i you know i, lo- I love doing that um but you know, with, in today's world, you can't do that. Right. So I'm mm-hmm. trying now to, you, you, you'll have seen it, you know, you've seen more and more of, of my social media over the course of the last few months has been video. It's still really challenging for me to do that. Cause it's not my natural habitats standing in front of a camera and speaking as this isn't really my natural habitat. And that's why I, um, I said no to so many podcasts at the start because it's just not, I don't want to put myself in that much of a challenging situation yet. I wasn't mm-hmm. comfortable enough with it yet where or confident in my own ability to have these conversations in a, in a way in which I thought was useful uh, to people who are listening, but also in a way that wasn't going to challenge me to the point where I felt, you know, um, like overly insecure about, you know, doing it. And you, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, I still do obviously, but it's uh, less and less and less and less that and more and more comfort as it is with the video stuff that I'm doing. 
And, you know, it's, um, as we talked about before, it's like, I feel like you only get better at doing things by doing things. And what worries you about in a conversation like this that you don't worry about when you're writing the opportunity to not be able to revise it in some sense? Oh yeah. Like, editing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Editing ability. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when I, when something's ready for the world, when you're writing it, it's up to, it's hundred percent up to you when it goes out there. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I got past that actually maybe five or six years ago where I said, all right, I'm over editing what I'm thinking here to the point where it's too clean. It's no, it's no longer real. It's no longer really that honest and authentic. It's me being about me, you know, like, I mean, I'm almost, it's almost performative, you know, I'm sharing my thoughts, but I'm editing them, them so heavily to try to make it feel like to the community that I'm sharing it with that, you know, this is, these are my real and honest and authentic thoughts that I have today right now, you know, but I'm editing them over a few days. So what I force myself to do is, you know, you may remember every, every day for about two and a half years on Instagram, I just brain dumped basically. And I just started writing and just, I'd get up in the morning and I'd write 500 words every single morning. I'd write at least that. I'd put the first 250 words on Instagram, unedited, totally unedited, just put it out there. And, you know, and I got more and more comfortable with that process. And as you become more and more comfortable with it, you see, you know, that's, that's what it should be. Hmm. You know, so it's, um, that's kind of where, that's kind of where we're, where I'm at now with my communication is still, still want to get better with all of it. I'd still recognize that, that middle part, you know, the, the two way back and forth communication in smaller groups is probably still my weakness. Um, I'm getting better at the other two, I think. How has that changed your, your coaching practice or has it? Yeah, it, 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 it has, you know, it's, um, it's something that I've spoken about a lot and thought about a lot, but not necessarily acted upon a lot where taking the other person's perspective or the athlete's perspective and things and taking into account their own histories, their own views, their, um, thoughts on what they're doing based upon their uh, own experiences over the course of their lifetime. That's something we all have to do as coaches. Mm. But we have to balance all of that with what we know to be objectively true. And that's maybe that's still the biggest challenge for me is balancing those two things. Right. And, um, and I think you could probably extend that to being still a challenge in communication in general. You mentioned our, uh, our fine feathered friend, uh, Brett Bartholomew at the beginning of this thing, who's made it his mission to change communication and stuff out there. Um, you know, I recognize Brett has been sort of, one of his big frustrations is getting people to listen to the idea that that's something you actually have to train or you have to work at. And, you know, what's been your experience around that in terms of your own growth and uh, around communication have, how have you exposed yourself to um, variable methods or means so that you get a better outcome when you 
when you are coaching or or you know at a cocktail party or whatever it is that you're you're at so to speak mm-hmm. quick break here and we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest the reconditioning process is powerful, it's provocative, and it has become a sought-after capacity in the human performance world. ReconditioningHQ.com has released the R-Pro Series, a four-step turnkey process to integrating the worlds of therapy and performance. Four steps, one mission, to make you the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. The first step is R1 Foundations, and it's recently been turbocharged with the injection of applied neurology. We are extremely excited about what this new capacity is going to do to your ability to solve problems and serve your client. For more information about the R-Pro series or any one of our empowering courses, head over to reconditioninghq.com and take advantage of our free 5 hours video that takes you through our groundbreaking method of improving mobility. Do you let $100,000 walk out of your rehab business every year? If you're like most businesses, you do. Operating your business under a fix or release model drives your client revenue out the door. For less than $10 per day, Isofit's line of strength products can change your revolving door of lost revenue into a flourishing rehab prevention and performance training business. Call them at one 866 2 I-S-O-P-H-I-T, and strengthen your rehab business bottom line today. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness and performance equipment with over 7,000 employees worldwide. Their expertise and capacity in this world are exceptional, with over 500 products that cater to the medical, fitness, and athletic performance markets. But they want to do more than provide product. They want to help you thrive as a performance professional or business person. They are here to help. Whatever your problem might be, they are ready and willing to help you find solutions. Greg Lawler and his team at Matrix can be contacted at teamupwithmatrix.com. And believe me when I say this, they will make a difference in your success. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Uh, I've always been um, somebody that struggled with being distracted by the giver of the information to the point where if I don't like the person who's giving that information or Mm -hmm. communicating that information, then I, I'm biased against that information. Mm. So I, you know, the, uh, the, the, the example I give is uh, Nassim Taleb and his books. I'm so distracted by his personality (laughs) that I can't even read his stuff. Mm. You know, um, Tim Ferriss, his podcast. I'm so distracted by his personality and his insecurities that I can't get anything from his podcast. Right. I just can't listen to it. It's unlistenable. Mm. Even if, even though I, if I probably listened to many of the guests that are on his podcast, I would get a lot from it, as mm. I would and have with Taleb. And I've, I've actively again, because if it, if it wasn't, active i would i would just shy away from this i've tried to put myself in more situations where i'm uncomfortable with the you know the 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 viewpoint or the starting viewpoint of the person that's either speaking or writing mm-hmm. and i give them the time and i try to go into that part of my you know my end of that conversation with as open a mind as I possibly can and understand, try to be better at understanding their subjective point of view. 
in a way in which I can get something out of it. And I still, I'm really challenged with that, Scotty. I'm not good mm-hmm. at it at all. Like I'll, I'll, you know, I, for three or four Novembers in a way, in a row, I spent the entire month of November reading and listening to stuff that I had, I was biased against going mm-hmm. into it. And I, I think I did that for four years in a row. And I was just miserable for a month. <laughs> like, that's not what, what, you know, that's not what it should be for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm not enjoying reading this or listening right. to this. And it didn't change my mind on anything. <laughs> so why am I doing it? Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 I don't know, man. It's, it's, um, I still feel like, you know, it's, uh, like, you know, 51 years old and I've been working really, really hard to develop a certain level of information, knowledge or wisdom or whatever for a long, long time. And there's still a big part of me that thinks I know better because of that. Sometimes that gets in the way, right? Well, and at least at my least job you is, know to, is to, you know, identify when that's okay and when it's just something, okay, I just got to ignore that little part of my brain that's saying that, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's coaching in a nutshell for me. <laughs> yeah. I struggle with uh, what I would call points of initiation. Like I think one of my desires in conversation is always, I call it depth or um, breadth or, content and i think sometimes i struggle with just how do i initiate something that's going to create um a common th- thematic between two people you know i'm i'm not very good at parties i'm not very good uh in in certain environments where i don't know a lot of people because i have a challenge finding that common point of initiation or that common thread and if it doesn't and ignite relatively quickly. I, I, I struggle with it. You know, I, I struggle with trying to find what it is that I need to, to find. Um, I think I've gotten better at it. Um, I keep working at it. And part of, again, going back to the podcasting is, you know, finding those threads and sort of igniting from what somebody shares, uh, you know, an interest in them. I, I think my pet peeve um, in conversation is when, it doesn't come back at some point and not that it should be reciprocal. Um, it doesn't, the reciprocity doesn't need to be, you know, 50, 50, but when you're asking question after question, um, not in a podcast circumstance, but in a, you know, a personal conversation and it tends to be 99% about the other person. I find that challenging at times in conversation. Yeah. I mean, the, the word that you said there that jumped out to me was content and, and how we've, we're so focused on the content of our thoughts that we often sort of lose sight of the context, mm-hmm. which uh, we haven't, you know, and um, that's something we talk a lot about in, in movement and in coaching and appreciating the value and the importance of context. But it's the same with everything else, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's um, again. It's it's just these are these are things that we think about and try to you know we identify what it is that 
we struggle with and are challenged by and try to improve upon over time. But, you know, we've talked a lot about that, but, you know, a big part of my coaching philosophy is we start with what makes somebody good at what they do Mm. and work around that. Like that is what we should be working towards. You know, what, what I stole from, from our buddy JB is identify the athletes unique abilities and that's not not easy to identify that but start with that what it is that makes you you and just get better at that now the other side of that is those things that maybe you know you can improve upon and i think it's really important to to do that work because what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes is is improving on those things that we i've identified that we need to work on but we can't lose sight of uh, what is it that makes us us to begin with? Why do people listen to us? Why are we a quote unquote good coach or a bad coach or whatever it is and build from that? You know, so it's, um, I don't think, you know, and especially in this day and age now of, of self-improvement of everybody doing the work now, you know, it's become, it's become a thing. And I think we've lost sight of the importance of just, uh, celebrating what it is that makes us us to begin with. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a really valuable point. And to pivot off of that, actually, I would love to hear your, I mean, how have you navigated uh, differentiating between what I would call, you know, quality habits and consistent practice that that I- inevitably creates a net gain for an athlete versus um, the the human differences between people and that some people need more stimulus, some people meet, need more novelty, some people meet, need, you know, need inconsistency in order to be, you know, successful. How have you navigated that as a coach where you, you, you know that there are certain practices I mean, I think it was you actually said that I took it. Took I think I took it away from you at some point that success to 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 a degree is boring. You have to be consistent and you know approach things, and and it can be kind of rather you know unexciting in some sense. But at the same time, as putting all that consistency in, certain athletes or or clients that you're working with are going to differently by different things to your point contextually so how have you navigated that recognize that or do you recognize and you know you're you're a big advocate of you know or or looking at dynamic systems theory and recognizing that everything is a system so when do you you know poke the bear and when do you leave the bear alone kind of thing in your viewpoint yeah that's a good question it's it's um there's a few things in there i'm a big believer categorization I don't feel that we, we can accurately individualize everything that we do with each individual athlete that we work with. I don't think that's possible. What I start with is trying to identify where an athlete's unique abilities lie, where that lies um, relative to the average of that specific population. And then I can do a better job of categorizing them appropriately where they sit within that. So when it talks to, when it speaks to what you were asking about, as far as, you know, their ability to focus on the boring stuff, how I categorize them then is I ask them, would you rather do two exercises 10 times each or 10 exercises two times each? And it gives you an understanding of where they fit, where they fit as far as their, um, you know, particular and specific 
It's the word I'm looking for. Anyways, you, you know you know the word I'm looking for. <laughs> need for novelty or need for yeah, yeah, yeah. just need for variability or, yeah. or variation. And then that's so that's the category. So now you know that's okay. I'm you have an athlete here that just wants to do two things ten times, and they're great with that. They're just great with structure. They're great with just mastery and just being really really good at this one thing. And that tells us a lot about how we can organize their training over the course of the year. When you have somebody else that wants to do many many things, that also tells us you know a lot about how we organize their training. But people forget sometimes that there's there's four different ways to load an athlete. There's just volume, there's volume and intensity, and everyone gets sort of focused on volume and intensity and how we organize volume and intensity of training over the course of time. There's also density, which is something that's really at the, the elite level is much more important. And there's also variability or variation. And we sort of forget about that. That is a load in and of itself. So if you have an athlete that it tends to category, you know, be in a category where they appreciate variability and variation again speaking from there or starting from their unique abilities that becomes an important kpi in their program Mm -hmm. so i'm going to build that in where somebody else may not that might not be important to them and they might be in a you know work capacity category what that is their unique ability where okay this athlete has got incredible work capacity that's what the, the primary kpi is and everything else just comes off of that Mm. so it's you know there's, I know there was a lot in, in that, but it's, it's, it's starting with what makes each athlete unique and understanding that every single athlete is unique, but we can't, that's an impossibility. It's a complex system. And it's, it's, we just can't start with that because there's too many ways in which we can go with it. There's too many um, uh, decisions to make. So we mailbox them. It's what Dan calls it, mailboxing, or just categorizing, or very simply give them a label. So this athlete is X type of athlete. And this is how I'm going to work with this, this athlete. And then within that, it's still, at least it's giving you some guidelines and some constraints where it's, it's eliminated a lot of decision points for you or a lot of ways that you could go. So it's Hmm. without that, I don't think it's um, coaching is just far too complex and far too difficult to to do a good job with. Hmm. I think one of the things that I found interesting over time looking at the way different people coach is just the differences in, I guess the word's not commitment, but it's, it's how, how much people over or undervalue the amount of time spent on X training, whatever it is. And I've always been a um, less is more kind of person from, from my perspective, it's always been, what can I do with this person to create the change that is necessary and give them the space to do, you know, all the other things that they want to do in their life. Um, I'm wondering how you've, you've negotiated that when you, I think it, it comes back to your unique abilities, you know, viewpoint. And certainly some people are, are more people in some um do you have a a viewpoint on that that sometimes maybe we take our the shit that we do too seriously or 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 not seriously enough yeah i mean i i i think we we don't we 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 take ourselves too seriously <laughs> for sure right we all do um and maybe sometimes we don't take what we do seriously enough 
Mm. We have, as a coach, I think we've got a massive responsibility to the people whom we're coaching, whether they're athletes or other coaches. And some people don't take that as, as, um, you know, as seriously as they perhaps should be. And mm. I take that responsibility as serious as I possibly, possibly can. And I think that's important. And I try not to take myself too seriously. Um, so seriously that you would go back to Lake Placid again after so many times. And yeah, then. absolutely. Like, I, I, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a good point. Like, I was never, ever going to go to Lake Placid ever again. I, I do not like that place. <laughs> I don't. I, I just, it's... Um, it's one place, it's Lake Placid and Altenburg, Germany, I have said many times, I will never return to. And I will never return to Altenburg, I'm saying this right here publicly. It That's a matter. place I've never heard good things about. Oh, you don't want to go. It's, it's horrible. And, uh, and then, you know, Kaylee and Lolo called me up a few weeks ago and said, we really need you to come out to Lake Placid. This is, you know, Lolo's last opportunity to go to the games, win a medal, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, to go there. And this was really important for them. So it becomes really important for me mm. because that's what we're doing, right? It's the, the responsibility to, to help guide the, the careers of the athletes they're working with is a is really big one. You know? So it's, you know, I, I, I take that very seriously and I feel like I've done a, as, as I, as we spoke about in our last podcast, when I, when I said I'd sort of broken up my career in thirds, the first third was about me. The middle third was about the athlete, and the third third is about the community. And that's, that's, that's dynamic, and it's always a bit about all three, obviously. The, you know, the athlete has to be the primary all the time, even if it's more about in general, more now about at this time in my career, more about the community or more about other coaches than it is about the athlete. But it's still, on the daily, it's still more important for the athlete. And I'm still... You know, if, if it's if I'm responsible for the for the development of this athlete and trying to help this athlete fulfill their lifelong dreams, how can we not take that seriously? Mm. How can we not? So it's I couldn't say no to going to Lake Placid in that situation. And then you know when it goes back, you started the conversation around sort of minimal effective dose and that. It's you know I used to, I don't know when I started thinking about that. It it, it became a thing in probably in the mid to late nineties and people started writing about minimum effective dose again. Um, and it became part of my sort of coaching um, objective is to try to figure out what each individual athletes minimum effective dose was rather than, all right, let me try and figure out how to get this athlete the best I possibly can. <laughs> One's, one is fitting, you know, the world to the model, and the other is, is fitting the model to the world. The world is, I'm trying to, to squeeze every single ounce of potential out of this athlete. How do I do that? And the other one is, I'm starting with this methodology or this philosophy of minimal effective dose and fitting the world into that model. And I, was, you know, I did that for a few years. It was the wrong way to do it, obviously. So now it's, it's, it's something that for me is, it might be something I think about with some athletes sometimes. But for most of the athletes, most of the times, it's not even a part of my lexicon. Hmm. Yeah. I start with, okay, what makes this athlete good? 
it's this, okay, we're going to train towards that. And then I organize the training over the course of the time to take advantage of that. One of the things I've tried to do a lot in my own personal practice, probably because of the same conversation we're having, is just the self-advocacy side of things and the, um, you know, education part of things. This idea of um, making the athlete sort of ask their own questions and recognize why they're doing things and self-advocate for the work that they're going to do and become in essence responsible towards what they do versus being sort of told what to do. Um, And kind of back to what you, you know, the story you talked about going to like Placid and stuff, I think that's poignant and it's important to, for us to, to do the best we can for our athletes all the time. But I'm also kind of curious, it's kind of a splinter question around, um, I would call the sliding doors reality. You know, what, what if you don't go to Lake Placid where, what do you think the trajectory differences are there? And what do you tell yourself are, are going to be the trajectory differences? Uh, or do you care? Um, because for me, in some sense, I think we, we, it's important for us to recognize when what we do can make a difference and what we do is making a difference more for ourselves. And I'm just curious what you think of that. Um. Yeah, I don't know if I think about it that way. I'm not sure if I think about what, you know, once I make a decision to do a thing, I do the thing and I don't really think about what the alternative could have been or I don't run the counter narrative after after the fact. It's it's not, I don't think it's the way that I live mm. my life or think about the relationships I have or the coaching that I do. I mean, there's very few times where I look in the past and say, hmm, I wish I had done this instead of that. In a, In a way in which that, you know, obviously we do that. You know, we learn from our past mistakes, failures, whatever. But I don't really think about it's. It's not part of my daily mm-hmm. thought process, to be honest with you, Scotty. It's I. I involve. I get as much information as I possibly can to make as good a decision as I can on the day. Mm-hmm. And once the decision is made, I live with that decision and we go forward. So as you know, as you started that conversation about you know the how we interact and communicate with the athletes we work with. And these are some of the conversations I'm having now actually with, with a few athletes as we enter into a new season and we're talking to new athletes that may be interested in joining the group. And the question is always, Hey, what do you do? And what's your philosophy? You know, what's important to you? And I'm first of all, I'm glad that athletes are asking those questions, but the, you know, one of the three primary points in my training philosophy is I look at this as a, partnership the only way that we can squeeze every single ounce of potential out of you as an athlete is by working together in this this partnership so it's you need to be more than just a robot that shows up on the track or in the weight room every day doing what i tell you to do you're an active part in this you're you have an active part in this process and some athletes are not interested in that Mm. that's okay That's just, you know, they need to find a new coach or a different coach. I'm not the coach for them. If they're not interested in being a part of that process Mm -hmm. and and providing the type of feedback that I require as a coach to try to squeeze every ounce of potential out of them, then it's not going to work, right? So when we have a conversation about 
going to Lake Placid and why the athletes thought that it was necessary for me to be there, then that just gives me more, you know, a more layered understanding around the decision that I can make. Right. And then I can, I can only use all of that information at that time to make a decision. That's all the information I have. Mm-hmm. So I try to, like I said, I try to have those conversations to be and develop relationships with the athletes where they can be honest with me and tell, tell me, Hey, this is unfair. You know, I need you here. You're my coach. This is my last Olympic games. This is my last shot at X or whatever it is. Right. You need to be there. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll be there. That's fine. Um, you, you can, questions you, no, no, it's, it's, uh, there is no answer to the question. It's really what, you know, where, where it, um, exposes itself. That's the key to it. But, uh, I am curious and you can defer on the question if you want, because I know it's a, it's a personal athlete relationship you have, but I'm, I'm curious how you've seen your, you know, you've worked with uh, Kaylee for many, many years. She's been a very successful athlete. How has that relationship changed over time for the two of you as coach athlete? Um, and what's better about it now than it once was? Yeah, I mean, I started coaching Kaylee when uh, she was 18. It was 2007. And when you're coaching an 18-year-old, it's much more directive. It's much less of a partnership. Mm. Um, And as I get to know more about her as a person, as a human, and as an athlete, and she gets to know more about me, and probably more importantly, she gets to know more about herself as a human, as a person, as an athlete. It becomes more and more of a partnership over time. So over the last sort of few years now, it's everything's a conversation. Just great. It's exactly where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Everything is a conversation. Where nothing was a conversation in 2007. <laughs> you're doing this. And you're doing this until you have a certain level of understanding about what it is you're doing. Now, we're still having conversations about it, but what you're saying and maybe your opinion at this time isn't going to carry much weight relative to next year, two years down the road, down the line, five years down the line, 2021, when you're going into your fifth Olympic Games. Mm. Now, what, now her opinion has, carries all the weight, 100% of the weight. If she's got an opinion on something and she's communicating it to me, then yeah, that's what we do. No problem. Mm. So it's it's, but I think that's the same with any relationship that we mm-hmm. have. Right? Mm-hmm. Not just the coach athlete relationship, but every relationship. It's a, it's the same relation I had with with Steve Messer still. So Kaylee and Steve are the two athletes that I coach for the longest. Steve I coached for ten years, and Kaylee now for uh, fourteen years or whatever it is. Um, Steve by twenty ten Olympic Games was almost writing his own program. Because he understood everything about what he was doing and why he was doing it. He'd ask great questions. We'd have great conversations to the point where it was very simple. I just set guidelines, you know, it's, and it's, it's what we do is it's one of the roles as, as us, as coach mentors, right? It's not our, our, our objective or our role as a mentor of other coaches isn't to tell those coaches exact, exactly what to do every day. It's just to provide the guidelines you know, is first of all, it's, I'm the lighthouse. I'm basically, or whoever's the lighthouse for, you know, this is what I want to be. 
This is my hopeful future as a coach. I want to be like Scotty Livingston. I want to be like Dan Path. I want to be like Matt Jordan, whatever it is. Then it's to provide these sort of a, a direction, essentially. This is sort of how you go about doing this. These, is, these are the guidelines. And it's the same thing with coaching. You know, as you get more and more, uh, as you develop this relationship more and more and more with the athletes, it's much, much more about that than it is, hey, this is what exactly you, that you have to do today. You do this tomorrow, you do this next week, and you keep doing this. And I feel like it's, you know, maybe that's now, you know, maybe when I was a younger coach, I was less um, comfortable with that. And it was much more, you know, prescriptive directive than it is now as a, as a more experienced and older coach and understand well, actually what it actually really truly takes to squeeze every ounce of potential out of every athlete that's in front of us. Well, I, if you're a coach that think that you can do that without the athlete, well, you're either a better coach than me or you're just kidding yourself. I think that's really high value. And for me, one of the things I've started, one of the reasons I asked the question is because I've started to notice in doing more, I would call consultative support around some integrated performance teams around athlete projects that they're and it, and it's sport dependent to a degree but i think there are certain sports where athletes are not always um encouraged to self-advocate they're kind of encouraged to um do the do of what they're supposed to be doing and what i've found is you get athletes in this kind of maturation place where they're they're no longer 20 they're now 28 29 30 um and yet they they don't evaluate the load or evaluate the situational dynamics or evaluate the why of what they're doing. And they don't have those conversations with their coaches. And I find myself quite often having those kinds of conversations with athletes in that space where they've never really thought about, oh, you know, why am I doing this? And how does that contribute to the overall package of what I'm doing? And that recognition of this is creating their own filter, you know, and, and I try to spend more time now with those kinds of projects, helping them create that filter or giving them some perspective on that filter so that they can have good conversations with their coaches around what it is that they're trying to achieve, you know? Yeah. I think that's really important. I mean, it's, it's really important in the long-term sustainable development of their careers. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for a certain period of time, for a certain population of athletes, ignorance can be bliss. And if they just, they just show up and do the work and they'll do really well. But I just don't feel for most athletes, most of the time that that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. I think they have to be a part of what's going on here and learn how to have those conversations and learn how to feedback in, in effective ways. You talked a little bit about mentorship and maybe as a kind of final conversation point we can talk a little bit about what you know now that you've you're finding that role is more prevalent for you what what are some of your you know this is what i want to give or this is what i want the other person to to know that i will give in your role as a mentor and what what are maybe some of your boundaries in some sense as a mentor as well It's, you know, 
Yeah, and one thing we've worked a lot on the last little while is to try to better identify what those pain points are for the coaches that we are mentoring. So what are they challenged by? What are their problems? So rather than starting from our perspective, this is this is what we feel you need that's based upon our history and our experiences. Mm-hmm. Try to better ascertain what it is that they are looking for. But it's not only that, is it? It's both. Because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And yet mm-hmm. you're not there yet. Right. So what we're trying to do is just get a better understanding of what it is that the leaders in sport want and what it is that the younger coaches need. Mm-hmm. Try to find ways to for those two places to intersect. And they, they don't always intersect. You know? <laughs> and, and sometimes you don't know you know, like you said, you don't know what you don't know yet. And we have to tell you, hey, you need to know this. So pay attention. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and, you know, half of them half of them probably won't pay attention. You know? That's okay. We got to learn our own lessons in our own ways. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy, Scotty, as you know, right? Because often as well, the pain points that younger coaches are having today are not the same ones that we were having when we were 25. Mm. 25 30 35 years ago they're very Mm. different Mm -hmm. so for us in order for us to be able to you know um understand and appreciate some of those challenges it's it takes us getting outside of our comfort zones to the point where some of us aren't really that comfortable doing that Mm. so it's that's that's it's not easy um so it's for me that's what I'm trying to get better at is, is I think I do a pretty good job of, of understanding, appreciating and describing what young coaches need to be a successful coach. But I still need to do a lot of work in understanding it from their perspective today in 2021 and what that world is like for them now, based upon their current and past histories and what they're expect, expecting from the, from the role, from the job, from the industry, from the profession. Um, yeah. I think that's an interesting take, especially one of the things that I find quite, um, I wouldn't call it, uh, it. It's just befuddling in some sense, but I, I do feel that in the last 10, 15 years, you've had a sociological conversion from what was the traditional dynamic of perception of expertise to what is a perception of expertise now. And the perception of expertise now seems to be focused around um, the persona of what people have done versus what they actually have done in some sense. And whether you call it social media or media in general, that's allowed people to craft that people have become geniuses at creating the, the perception of expertise. Um, Whereas when we were growing up and certainly when our fathers were growing up, the, you know, expertise was garnered over time and there was a definite, you know, co-relationship there um doesn't seem to be there as as much anymore so in some sense how do you counsel uh younger professionals now to um you know 
actively sieve the dynamics of what is and what is not expertise in some sense. <laughs> yeah, how do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get leave a, the listener with mentor. an empty-ended question. <laughs> I mean, you have to get a good mentor. Mm. You need it. You can't navigate this, the complexity of information that's currently available to everybody mm. without good mentors. You just can't. Yeah. Um, so you need to get somebody who's been there, done that, who's, who is experienced in many contexts with many, many people over many years and lean on them to help you find a way through the complexity. I mean, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. It, it really is because it's, it's, it's not available anywhere else. I mean, everybody and their dog are putting out um, education products now or putting themselves across as experts in a way in which people can, can learn from them. Mm. So how do you filter? You know, it's, it's, if you're 20 or 22 or 25 and you don't really know a lot, how do you filter? Yeah. You can't, you know, and it's, and so much of the education that's out there is, is trash, whether it's, it's formal education or just the fly by night, I'm trying to make a dollar education. So much of it is, is, is just straight, straight trash. It's, you know, it's, so we try to do a better job of, you know, um, lighting a coach's fire, you know, think about it's, we're not just providing you with a bunch of information that you can use It's to, it's, it's to try to find ways to, for you to appreciate this responsibility that we have as coaches and use that as your starting point or mm-hmm. using that as your starting point for education rather than mm-hmm. just a bunch of information, sometimes disparate information, sometimes totally, you know, opposing information and trying to figure out your way through that is let's start from a bigger picture and, and work down from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like education now is just creating cardboard cutouts so often, so often we see coaches come to our programs who, you know, they can barely ask a question or we have interns that come to us that cannot. And I was having this conversation with uh, uh, my friend, Rachel Balkovich last night. And um, she says so much of her mentoring now, and she mentors a lot of younger female coaches is about how to handle themselves around other people, whether it's one athlete, whether it's another coach, whether it's a group of athletes, mm-hmm. it's so much of it is that. And we were talking about how much do we feel that is actually coachable? If you have a 25 year old coach that comes to you, Scotty, and, and he's just carrying himself a certain ways, he's, he's coaching and he's crossing his arms or he's sitting down and he's, you know, he's, he's looking at the wrong things or he's not, not, not really, you know, um, not communicating, you know, in a way in which to get his point across in an effective way, how much of that do you think is trainable, workable, or do you at that point say, you know what, coaching is probably not for you. Mm. Maybe you should look at sports science or analytics or, you know, being somewhere else on the sport, on the sports support team rather than coaching. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, I was, I was agreeing with, with, um, 
with Rachel and that so many of the people that we have that come to us is just, that's their, you know, that's their problem. The problem isn't a lack of information. Sometimes it's a problem of, um, of filtering and they, they don't know what the good information is from the bad information, but more often than not, it's just, they lack the actual understanding of what is needed and what is required to be a leader of people. Mm which is what coaching is. Well, I, I, from my perspective, I think there is a teachability and a coachability element of that, but I think it comes, it comes down to your desire to be taught or to be coached. And do you recognize that you have things to learn or things to do differently? I, I think there's the person who, you know, I, I sort of feel for the young person today in some sense because of what we were just talking about in the, in the essence that, you know, there's almost no time for not knowing what you're doing. There's almost like nobody has, everybody's got competing for, you know, the this, that, and the other, you know, athletes and the program. And there's parents have no time for, you know, if you're not doing this program or that program. And, and so the the bandwidth for, your growth is much shorter than the bandwidth was for our growth, I think. And so a young person now is challenged with this perhaps desire in the back of their mind to, to learn. And on the other side, a, a, a recognition that if they, or a perception that if they ask a question or they say, and we kind of, it's funny that we've circled back to this because we kind of started, started with this in essence is, you know, if I, if I don't say I know what I'm doing, well, that athlete's going to walk over there and ask that coach. Yeah. And I'm not going to make a living. And so now it's about making a living, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I don't blame them in some sense. And I think we have to have patience for that. But to your point, I think we also have to find recognition points on their ego and how we slice through that ego to maybe let them understand that they can be vulnerable in some sense and, and learn. Because it's really for them finding that space of vulnerability and knowing they're not going to suffer for it in some sense, you know? Yeah. So I said, well, dude, it's been a slice of time hanging with you today. <laughs> it's been a beautiful been fun, buddy. Good thank chat. Thank you for, thank you for taking the time and I appreciate we'll you do it again at some Thanks future point. Me on again, even, even if I was, uh, you Second know, of I, fiddle to Bartholomew. Yeah, uh, okay, we'll leave. We won't finish like that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking the time, Stu. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks, buddy. Have a good day. All right. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.